0: This is The Good List. I'm Tish Oxenrider, And in this episode, I am joined by my friend once more, Seth Haynes, as we wrap up our conversation about sacramentality. And like before, we have fun drinks with us. So Seth, tell me what you are drinking.
1: Today, I am drinking America's favorite tea. Do you, want to, do you want to guess what that is? Lipton. Well, I don't know actually what it is, but it's Chick Fil A.
0: Oh, got it. I see <laughs> what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had,
1: I had a really late lunch today, and so I grabbed my drink and my salad, and then um, you know now here I am at the end of the day, and all I have to drink is my tea that I didn't get to drink over lunch. So that's that's the drink today
0: my weird like because I almost never go to chick-fil-A so when I do I like to get an unsweetened Arnold Palmer do you know what that is like uh, is that lemonade half tea half lemonade but the unsweet of both because otherwise it's sickly sweet um it's so dumb I don't normally get that any other place but chick-fil-A but
1: um that's my drink there they have they have unsweet lemonade
0: yeah it's it's like barely sweetened or something I don't know what oh. they do
1: oh ouch! I'm not good with sour, so I think that would that yeah. It, would it's hurt
0: it's bit. kind of tart, but
1: I, I like mm. that. I don't like super sweet, so that's my drink. Well, I'm glad to know I'll try it next time I go. <laughs> uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe I won't. Maybe I will. But I'll tell you, I did, and then okay. I'll say it was great. There you go. All what, right. What are you drinking today?
0: Um. Well, I am drinking because it's the end of a work week, and it's kind of the end of the holiday s- season. It's not the end, I should say. It is near the end of the holidays for teaching. So I am drinking black coffee with a little bit of Bailey's in it.
1: (laughs) Oh, Um, yes, you are.
0: I don't normally do this, but it's very holiday-ish. And so Kyle bought some, I don't know, October, and it's barely been opened. And I just saw it sitting there and I was like, what seems Friday afternoon? And that called my name. So it's lovely. It's It's silly, but there you go.
1: Well, I mean, sometimes silly is the right thing for the end of work week.
0: So it reminds me, though, I laugh every time I drink this. When I moved back from Kosovo, I was 22, 23, something like that. And I was on a long haul flight by myself from Eastern Europe back home. Uh, Actually, I was going to London first for a few days. And I was enamored with the idea of the free alcohol that you get on international flights. Oh, yeah. And I had read on the internet which I, you know, it was still kind of a new concoction this idea of <laughs> drinking Baileys with Dr Pepper. And so I thought I would be wow. fancy and sounds disgusting and drink Bailey's with Dr. Pepper, and it was horrific, but I did not want the flight attendant to know that I hated it because she gave me this look of like, you are a disgusting American college student. (laughs) And so I wanted to prove her wrong. So I drank the whole thing, and it was awful. So I think of that every time I drink Bailey's.
1: (laughs) Yeah. when I The first time I traveled overseas, uh, much like you, was before I stopped drinking uh, alcohol, actually. And I was on a long haul to South Africa. I was visiting a friend in Mozambique, and it was kind of the same uh, same way. The, the flight attendant came up to me and she said, "You know, would you would you like some wine, some from South Africa?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." And she said, "Do you like white or red?" And I said, "Well, I I like both, I guess." And she said, "Okay, well, here are three little bottles." And she said, "Do you like beer?" And I was like, mm, "Yeah, I like beer." She said, "Do you like brown or yellow beer?" And I <laughs> said, "Well, both, I suppose." And she gave me two cans of beer. And then she said do you want any uh, liquor? And I said, well, I, I mean, I like whiskey. And she put a little whiskey down and she looked at me and she said, it is a very long flight.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> Did you drink it all? <laughs>
1: yes. 100%. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was like a 20 hour flight or something crazy like that. So, it, yeah. you know, I had plenty of time.
0: That's so funny. Oh, good times. All right. Well, um, This conversation today, as we wrap up this idea of sacramentality, we're going to talk about something fun that you and I both really like a lot, and that's stories, and not so much stories on the writing end of it, which you and I both do, and which you and I will both talk about in the future, but more story enjoying, story consumption, which is what most of our listeners probably do. And a little bit, you know, kind of taking it a little bit deeper, we're going to talk about story curation. And I got this idea from this book called The Common Rule, um, written by Justin Whitmull Early. You know this guy, right?
1: Yeah, he's a great guy. Great. Okay. Guy. Good good writer, phenomenal writer.
0: Yeah, he's really good. So we are reading this book. Well, we just finished reading this book in my one of my high school classes that I teach us, high school leadership class. And it's this, um idea, the common rules is four daily habits and four weekly habits that you do in rotation. And the idea is that you do them with other people, hence the common. And um, the premise being when you do them in community, not only do they are they, quote, more effective because you have that accountability and the camaraderie, but there's also something that helps you transcend a little deeper into this idea of what what the point of good habits are to begin with, that it's not just about you. It's about being a better friend, about being in community, and um, keeping the focus away from you. Anyway, we could probably riff off this whole book at some point. But the chapter that I thought was really fascinating to me was um, Weekly Habit 2, which we did not too long ago in my class. And it's this idea of curating media. And I wasn't quite sure what he meant, although I knew what curating meant. Obviously, I knew what media meant. But his point is this idea that because even though storytelling has been around since the dawn of time, the idea of curating is a necessary modern concept because we're bombarded with so many, we can't consume all the stories we've been given. Whereas thousands of years ago, you sit around the campfire and you hear the story that gets told and that's the story you consume. Yeah. And now we're surrounded by these campfires and we're overwhelmed. So, Seth, I am curious, um, whenever you guys, like, sit down to watch something as a family or read something or whatever it is, but, like, consume a story, do you guys have a plan going in or do you do that, like, scroll and then sit in in indecision for minutes and minutes? Yes.
1: Yes. Both. Okay. <laughs> I would like to say that we're super intentional about the way we curate stories. And there are seasons when we're at our best where we do. Um, so there are certain shows that as a family, we've just decided like, these are stories that we want to know. These are stories that we're going to watch or these are stories that we're going to read um, but, you know, I think like so many people, you know, you get to the end of a long work week and you're tired and you sit down and you don't have any more willpower to do anything. And so I think in times like that, we tend to be a little bit more lax and and there is a little bit of that scrolling. And we've actually talked about sort of intentionally getting away from that, uh, for the Advent season, which we're now in. Um, and we've tried to do that and it, it, I think it's been, it's been pretty helpful. Um, But I think having, for us, having a a plan really starts uh, by being intentional at the dinner table and then Mm -hmm. limiting how much time we have, you know, at the tail end of the night to talk about uh, or to to consume other stories. And I think part part of what we're discovering is the more we sit at the table or the more we sit in the little living room area without the TV um, and talk together, the more we start to um, listen to each other's stories and make up stories more. Mm-hmm. Um and curate sort of our own stories. And so I, I think that's kind of our approach to it. It's it's definitely far from perfect.
0: Yeah. How remind me again how old your four boys are. Like what's your age range here?
1: Yeah, our oldest is 16 and then 14, 13, and our youngest is nine.
0: He's nine. Okay. I, w- I was trying to remember how old Titus was, and I thought he was around Finn's age. My youngest, who's 10. And it's better than it was when they were quite a bit younger, but there is still this tension between the oldest and the youngest and what is most enjoyable for all parties involved. And, you know, my oldest, she's almost 16. Um, It's not like she wants to watch, you know, things full of, you know, violence and sex and awful, awful things. But then there's just some stuff that she's more interested in that perhaps Finn is not and vice versa. And so we deal with that challenge. Is that something y'all deal with?
1: Oh it's brutal. I mean my <laughs> oldest my oldest right now is really wanting to watch The Office.
0: Mhm. Um
1: and obviously my 9-year-old not only he he doesn't care a lick about it. He doesn't get it. Um Yeah. And and he's, you know, he's he plays it up a little bit because he's got three older brothers. So like if we're talking about Marvel movies or, or something like that, you know, he can he can get you up with. But you know, he's still kind of a little boy. And yeah. um and in fact this week, he uh, took Amber's phone without asking and he kind of squirreled away, you know, off into the house. And when she finally found him and figured out what he was doing, he was sitting there with iTunes open listening to Winnie the Pooh songs. Aww. It's like the sweetest thing ever. But I mean, it was kind of like in this in this house of, of older brothers who are consuming all these stories that he just doesn't care about. Like he really wanted to go back to to sort of the childhood simplicity of, of the Winnie, Winnie the Pooh story. So yeah, it's an actual tension in our house. And it's something we, we really um, try to be consistent and vigilant about.
0: Yeah. Yeah, us too. And, you know, I love that you even brought Winnie the Pooh up because that's a great example of a story that tends to be marketed or sold to the younger crowd, but actually older kids or yeah. adults – could really love it, and my 15 year old almost 16 year old actually loves it, and whenever we bring out the House at Pooh Corner or you know the big collection of A, a. Milne, they all
1: mm-hmm.
0: weirdly get excited because there's a little bit of reminiscence, but there's something genuinely funny about those stories that's not just for little biddies.
1: yeah, I mean that's one of the things that w- we've been talking about um, is, is how do we find you know w- one of the imperatives of really good story, I think a lot of times is really good humor. And, and one of the things that, that we notice as we watch older content with the boys is sometimes things aren't funny. And so they just kind of move to the cheapest humor that they can.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and and you're right. Like when you look, read the old uh, Winnie the Pooh stories or watch the old movies, man, there's just this genuine comedy about it that is simple and quiet and funny. And everyone laughs out loud. We noticed that this week watching old um, Roadrunner and Wile E. Mm-hmm. Coyote, yeah. uh, Looney Tunes. Um, we got into those again this week and, and we all were gut laughing and it's just the simplest little stuff. And the story is simple, you know, Mm -hmm. it's the chase, it's the story of the chase. And we all know the story of the chase.
0: Yeah. And and so
1: it's just a simple, easy way, um, to, to identify with, you know, this, this primal story and to get a really good laugh at it at the same time.
0: And, you know, I really like this idea that um, Early talks about, which is this idea that the art of curating stories, because of the just sheer volume that we have, it's actually a sacramental virtue. It's a, a literal virtue to, to curate our stories well. And I think that there is something to be said about finding Looney Tunes funny, finding Winnie the Pooh funny. Because you haven't been numbed or you haven't been, um, you know, I hate to say brainwashed. That's not really what I mean, but um, diluted with just some dumb humor. And I really like that he talks about this. It's not so much curating for like the quote good and bad when it comes to wholesome Uh, storytelling, which is easy for parents to do, but it's simply like good versus not good art. Um, And that most of what he says, this is a quote, most of what gets labeled entertainment is really terrible. We get the entertainment we deserve. And he says, to me, being entertained is having your mind engaged with the work of art on multiple levels. So I think a lot of what gets passed off as entertainment really does not qualify for that definition because it's merely diverting to be entertained by something is to ter- is in turn to entertain it. Like you entertain ideas, mm-hmm. a kind of mutuality that's part of that definition. And I think that's so true. And I think that's um, kind of what we mean here by curating stories. It's not about you know what's rated G or what what doesn't have a lot of blow up scenes. It's it's actually like what's good and not good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One of the ways I like to think about the stories that I read and the stories that I, you know, curate and allow into my life is, you know, do they point to something bigger, to some bigger human experience? You know, um, you know, there's there are poets that I love who are vile, um, you know, in, in their poetry, they're vile. Um, but they point to something really necessary about the human experience that, that makes you think, okay, that, that is art worth taking in. In the same way, I mean, you can read, uh, you know, a Wendell Berry, um, or uh, I don't know, I think any number of, of very simple, like an E.E. E. Cummings, you know, um, and these are very simple, beautiful, often poems, um, that are not, you know, in any way sort of worldly, quote unquote, and yet they really get at the underlying human experience in a way that like not many others do. And so for me, that's kind of what I look for is, you know, is the, is it a pure art? Is it a a true art? Does it get at something really important and really real and genuine about the human experience. And this is what I sometimes just miss when I'm watching, you know, cheap sitcom on television. Um, You get a good laugh, you know, some of the humor's kind of funny because it reminds you of being, you know, 15 and in a locker room or whatever, but does it really get at something bigger in the human experience? A lot of times it doesn't. In fact, a lot of times uh, that kind of humor cheapens the human experience. And, Mm -hmm. And that's, that's when, You know, Amber and I stop and take a hard look and say, like, is this really worth watching? Is this worth sort of praising and 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 allowing into our family experience?
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you know uh, Leah Labresco Sargent, the writer? If no, oh man, okay. Leah Labresco Sargent (laughs) is this fantastic writer that I've only found in the past few months, but I have just eaten up everything that she's written since then she started off as a blogger back you know in those blogging days as an atheist and she is now a uh, catholic and she is a fellow at word on fire and writes at all sorts of places like first things and plow and she is just a phenomenal thinker and she wrote this piece at the end of this past summer about art, and it was in it wasn't necessarily about storytelling it was about music because she was relating to this one song that hit the charts, became really popular, and it's just vile in terms of what the content is. And so she wrote this piece about art and she says in this, she says, effective art shifts how we see the world. We might look at a puppet and see a vulnerable child who needs our direction, or we might look at a woman and see a collection of parts to be manipulated and used. Training our eyes requires more than content neutral abundance. It means raising up art that tells the truth and avoids works that warp our vision. And so she makes this point that what good art does is it tells the truth by, um, by helping us see correctly, it we avoid the things that actually warp our vision so that our our eyes stay sharp. And her talking about content neutral abundance that really hit me with this idea of storytelling curation that we have so we have an abundance of content that's just neutral. It's not awful. It's just not that great. yeah, and I thought that was so spot on the way she worked, yeah. It out.
1: Yeah, so to you, what are some stories that that do that?
0: Yeah. I was thinking about this because I don't know how you feel, but anytime someone asks me for like tell me your things, whatever those things are, I'm terrified that I'm gonna forget something. So I, I made a little <laughs> I made a short list in my brain that I, I purposely did not do research so that I could just think about what came to mind. So this is super not exhaustive. Um, but I I thought through some uh, stories in the categories of books, films, and TV, just because mm. of, that's how we consume most of our stories these days. Um, and you know, I've got some that are really obvious that I think a lot of us can agree with, like The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, um, yeah, Narnia, A Wrinkle in Time, all these childhood stories that are about a journey, about a misfit, uh, or a group of misfits, and about this idea of. Every things are not all they seem, and that the the journey is the redemption of bad to good. Yeah. And I think those are stories that are n- more than good. They're formative. And mm. they do that thing that Leah was saying. they actually help us see clearer. So to me, those are the three that came to mind for like childhood formation yeah. um and almost like essential for childhood reading or maybe watching afterwards
1: yeah yeah i love that i love that
0: um i've also got so a few that come to mind there's also harry potter yeah which i know i almost feel like that's so obvious but it's really true there is a reason it's so popular and so much a part of our um DNA as a culture. And that's because it speaks into those truths that kind of peel back the vision of this is not all there is, I think. Um, another one that really comes to mind to me is Peace Like a River. Have you ever read this?
1: No, but man, you know how many people are on oh it, my like, gosh. this book? <gasps> I know. It's, it's crazy.
0: Okay. This this is to me a very Hainesian book. You and Amber would really, really like this. Okay. So Peace Like a River. Um, the last book that I cried in before this one was probably in college. Um, when I read Sheldon Van Aken's memoir or no, you know what? Harry Potter book seven. I, re- and <laughs> then <laughs> I, I cried. And it will get you every time. Yes. That one. I forgot about that. But then years later, I just don't typically cry when I read until I read peace like a river. This book is phenomenal. Have you read any of his books? Leaf anger? No. I. Haven't. Okay. You would like him. So, um, That book is truly sacramental. It's, oh my gosh, it's so good. It's so good. So
1: so you know who's on me to read that book? You know, Sean Smucker. Yeah. Sean, the novelist, is on me like literally monthly. Um, (laughs) And Nate Pyle both. They're like, why have you not read Peace Like a River or The River Why? I've I've not read either.
0: I haven't read Um, the second one, but
1: yeah. (laughs) And they are like on me monthly. And I, I know I need to do it. But now it's just iconoclastic to not.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you have to. Um, it's required. I would say also Steinbeck, a lot of his stories. Um, yeah. I know you're a big fan of his. And oh,
1: man, yes.
0: I yes. love – you know, I taught American Lit last year for high schoolers, and that was probably my favorite section when we read – all we read was of Mice and Men because we didn't have time, but we did a few short stories of his um, from Travels with Charlie – and I loved watching the kids respond to Steinbeck because we did it yeah. right after reading The Great Gatsby, which I love, but it's so hollow and so it's, so
1: it's vacuous.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but
1: it's kind of the book for the age, right? It's, I mean, I've, yeah, I've been going over it with our our ninth grader Isaac or tenth grader, I guess now. Um, he has been been reading The Great Gatsby, and he keeps asking me about the redemptive qualities, um, and it's so funny. I mean, I know they're there. I've read it three times, but I'm like, man, the whole point is sort of the vacuousness of, mm-hmm. of the whole thing. And then you juxtapose that against um, particularly Steinbeck's uh, work in East of Eden. And it's just mm-hmm. like you couldn't have two different, you know, talk about story creation, uh, curation. You couldn't have two different takes on the human experience.
0: Right. And they were not too far from each other time-wise. In fact, they might have yeah. been around the same time. I know Fitzgerald and Steinbeck lived at the same time. Um, And in fact, that this to me would be something interesting we could explore, this idea of who we are as people, as storytellers, um, the sacramental nature of the work we do reflecting the stories we ultimately tell, because Fitzgerald, you know, he died in his early 40s from alcohol poisoning and – uh, I mean, he's he was so talented, and yet his life was cut so short. Steinbeck, um, not saying he was perfect, but you know, whenever was it? The Grapes of Wrath? I think it was The Grapes of Wrath. Whenever it just became huge, and he won the Pulitzer, he was terrified of becoming famous. So much so that he ended up um, living in the same house that he and his wife lived in when they were pretty much in poverty. Um, because he was terrified of what it would do to him to upgrade houses, to live in a different neighborhood. Mm. So they stayed living in this ramshackle house. And he got a job working in the fields among the uh, migrant workers. And this is where he got mm. his idea for Of Mice and Men. Um, because he he didn't want fame to go to his head. Yeah. And to me, that says a whole lot about the stories yeah. that he ended up producing, right?
1: Yeah. 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 Anyway. No, that's good. I, I love his work. And I think, again, like for the human experience, I mean, even travels with Charlie, I remember I read that for the first time when I was probably 14 or 15. My grandpa had a, a copy um, just in this like spare bedroom and I just picked it up and read it and I lost myself in it. And, yeah. and just the idea of, you know, the idea of the journey, the idea of the character study. I mean, it just, it's, it's so fun to read um, you know, particularly when your imagination's forming, it, it just introduces you to a whole world that you're just not a member of.
0: End 2020 and start off 2021 on the right foot with sustainable shoes and bags that are actually beautiful, stylish, eco-friendly, and are made from fabric that's soft, amazingly durable, and machine washable. All this is from Rothy's, a longtime loyal sponsor of the show. Their shoes are just bonker balls, amazingly comfortable, and the super soft fabric is knitted just right for a zero break-in period. And yet it still maintains a high level of durability for out-of-the-box daily shoes. And since they're made from recycled plastic water bottles, Rothy's has kept over 60 million single-use plastic bottles out of landfills. And when your shoes are ready for a refresh, they're fully machine washable. No more soaking and scrubbing by hand or trying to get out stains with the toothbrush. Just toss them in with the laundry. I'm keeping my feet comfy and warm these days with their Chelsea boots, which I wear several times a week. They look great both when I'm out walking my dog Jenny or when I'm teaching my high school classes. And I am super loving some of Rothie's new lace-up shoes. And I just saw that they brought back their best-selling merino wool shoes. All of these would make fantastic holiday gifts. So check out all of Rothy's styles of flats, sneakers, sandals, boots, and even bags, totes, and organizers in all their ever-evolving colors and patterns by going to rothys.com slash goodlist. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash goodlist. Rothy's is all about comfort, style, and sustainability. These are the shoes and bags you've been looking for. So one more time. That's rothys.com slash Um. Okay, so films. This is a hard category because I feel like there's so many out there. And there's a lot of good ones out there, even ones that you wouldn't um, necessarily put in the category of sacramental, but I think are in a way, or at least have sacramental qualities such as the Avengers. I really do think that there's something. Um, to the avengers there but the first one that absolutely. came absolutely yeah see i i agree um but the first one that came to my mind in curating this list was dead poet society which oh, yes.
1: i yes.
0: love okay you do too
1: <laughs> so good such mm-hmm. a good movie in fact i keep trying to get my kids to watch it and they they, they haven't bought off yet so yeah we're gonna yeah. have to make it happen
0: i showed my juniors and seniors um, I, I rewarded them. So we do this thing in my class. A lot of times, whenever we read a book, if we have time, we'll watch the movie version of it, but as a reward for having read the book. Um, well, I had them read, uh, Confessions by St. Augustine, yeah, and yeah. there's not a movie, at least a good movie <laughs> of Confessions. There's like some really terrible, um, Christian biopics of his yes. life, and it, it, it's it not good. Um, so I, told them, okay, we'll we'll read or we'll watch a movie that has some kind of nature about the divine and about um, the hero's journey somewhat. And yeah. so I picked Dead Poets and they were in rapture. They were sucked in. And at first they were kind of laughing at it, but it didn't take long for them to just get sucked in and yeah. we and Tate loves it too. So, I think you have to be older to watch it and appreciate yeah. it. Well, I mean, you can watch it younger but you won't appreciate it as much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know the movie that comes to mind when I think of of like really capturing the human experience and telling an important story is did, did you ever watch um Almost Famous, the Cameron Crowe film?
0: It's been a long time. Um is probably it- almost 20 years since it came out since I've seen that, but yeah, that's a good one. The-
1: it's one of my favorites because it kind of does, um, you know, it, it ta- it's, it's the hero's journey, but in sort of a different way, right? It's, <laughs> you know, you have this kid who um, is faking his way uh, through the world as a Rolling Stone reporter, and he joins up with a band that's like a B-tier Band sort of like trying to reach the pinnacle of stardom. And so everyone's sort of faking their way through their experiences of, of artistry. And, and when everything comes crashing down, um, almost literally uh, at the end of the film, um, what you see is that really what all these people wanted, it, it was fame, but why did they want the fame? Well, they, they were really just like shooting for human connection. Hmm. Like the whole point of the fame of the film was, you know, this these attempts are hollow attempts at fame really are nothing when compared to the power of human connection. And mm-hmm. I love that film for that reason. And and you kind of see a little bit of, of that in Dead Poets Society.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that actually reminds me of the conversation we had a few episodes ago about addiction or about this idea of um numbing ourselves and you and I've talked about this before maybe not on the show this idea of the opposite of addiction being connection
1: mm-hmm. um
0: and that to me speaks volumes about this idea that whenever we want to numb ourselves with a story you know we want to just click next episode next episode does it stir us to deeper human connection i think is a good yeah. question to ask about the nature of a story and whether it's worth being curated into our collection into our libraries um yeah. yeah i think those stories all do that
1: yeah and this is why i love the chef's table do you watch chef's table
0: you're like the fifth person to tell me i need to watch that
1: oh so i've not seen it yet really step away and go watch all of the episodes ever mm-hmm. um it's it is hard for me to get my kids to watch it with me but they take these these amazing chefs from around the world, and they really just do a deep dive into the story and say, like, why is it that you have dedicated your entire life um, to sort of this one particular craft? Typically, it's it's not just like chef in general; it's a very subset, like a very niche uh, area of, of of sort of cooking. Um, But there are a couple episodes, uh, one in particular that I think he was from the French countryside, um, and he just kind of lost his voice, and um, he was the younger brother, and he was kind of wild, and so he kind of speaks through the whole thing with this little whisper. And he talks about, you know, how he got to where he was and how, you know, he dedicated himself to his craft. And, and it's, it's a story of just human excellence. And, and I mean, there were moments in, in that particular episode where I wept because of his creativity. I mean, he's just thinking so differently. Um, there's probably nothing else in the world he could do and be successful except what he's doing. And there's just something really beautiful about that. But all the stories are that way. They're so deep and so rich and so human and so sensory.
0: And this is – these are true stories, right? This is nonfiction.
1: Yeah. it's They're all documentaries. I mean, okay, it's, documentaries. It's many documentaries on Netflix and they just follow these famous chefs. But, I mean, if you don't like food but you love a good story, you mm. will love these. I mean, you'll get lost in them.
0: Yeah. That sounds totally up my alley because I love food shows. I love – somebody feed Phil and – um that short series, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. So it sounds right at my alley. I'll probably yeah, watch it over it. the holidays when I have time. i love it. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, speaking of TV, because I wanted to seg into that, um, did you ever see the series Band of Brothers?
1: Yes. Yes. Okay. In fact – I mean, and this is, this is a good example of when you curate stories, uh, well, how it can really impact friendships. Mm. I had a, 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 friend, um, and he said, have you ever seen band of brothers? And I said, no. And, um, and so we carved out, I can't I think it was like Tuesday nights or something, but every Tuesday night he lived right next door to me. And so I would just walk down my back porch and go over to his house and his wife would go over and be with Amber and we would sit down and we'd watch an episode of band of brothers because he had all the DVs DVDs um at the time. You couldn't stream anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got to be so close, like right. actual brothers over watching Band of Brothers. It's like one of my favorite TV watching experiences. Um, such a such a good series.
0: It is. It is. And I saw it quite a few years later. I streamed it. I think it's on Amazon Prime. Um, and I felt that too. I watched it on my own. I think Kyle and I started watching a little bit and then he was like, there was one night when he couldn't join in, and so I watched a couple. And I felt that desire to find camaraderie while watching it. So I even, you know, went online and tried to find some stuff. You know, if you've ever had yeah. a show that you love so much, you just want to talk about it with somebody else. To me, that was that show. Um, I It was years ago, and I probably think of that show weekly. Um, yeah. It, it yeah. was so formative. It was so it, – it's such – it. Obviously, it's based on history, and so to me, it speaks into that generation, um, our your, yours and my grandparents' generation, yeah. what what they went through, but why they are the way they are, and sort of the human nature of um, going through hard things together, and yeah. what that does to you permanently. Yeah,
1: yeah. Which we just don't do anymore. It doesn't mm-hmm. seem like. I guess now we all have COVID, <laughs> so that's a that's the thing we can all say that we went through together. I guess. Right. Uh, that'll be our. Happening. That'll be our story. Um, that's a hard thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a whole thing that I thought about frequently during 2020 is this generation going through World War II together. And, you know, the 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 bands of brothers out on the fields, the women who planted victory gardens and and maidens meet by not buying new things for a couple of years. Um, and here we are 100 years, not quite later needing to do the same thing and it doesn't quite happen anyway. Uh, Yeah.
1: And it doesn't, it doesn't quite have the same effect either. I mean, there was kind of a a moment there where I thought maybe we would get a taste of that. Um, But I think maybe this is where story creation is, is really important because um, you know, if you curate good stories and you know the good stories and you have sort of a historical imagination and a good story imagination, then you can have an imagination for how to, to sort of tackle the hard times of life, you know, the mm-hmm. difficult things when they come and 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 one of my uh, concerns about the age we're living in is that we we just don't have an imagination for how to do the hard things anymore. Right. And and I you know I d- can't peg that all on, you know, the failure to tell good stories or curate good stories, but I, I think it's got to be a component.
0: Mhm. I think it's part of it for sure. I think that's what stirred in me after watching Band of Brothers, it it stirred in me this desire to do something bigger than myself, whatever that was. If, if it can't be World War II, what's it going to be? Um, we rewatched a show called Home Fires at the start of the pandemic. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's a British, it's a BBC show. Huh. Um It was my second time to watch it. We showed it to the kids. The thing that's frustrating about it is that it ends after season two abruptly because it was canceled to much to the chagrin of many people. Like I was reading on forums afterwards because I went online and a lot of people were complaining and I had never heard of the show when it first came out. It was like 2015 or something, but it's about World War II on the home front so that it takes place in England and it's about the women who stay back and basically Take care of the village while the men are oh, off, wow. or the and the older men, you know, the butchers yeah, and yeah. the farmers that stay back. Um, and so it's the same kind of camaraderie and um, fostering of community through going through something together on that side. Yeah. So that's another good one. Yeah. Um. you so- know what's you
1: know what's, you know what's interesting as you t- I've talked about your shows, the common thread. i, I, I want to listen to this episode back too um, to see if I'm right about this, but I think the common thread for you has been community.
0: Mhm. Probably. All
1: the, all the great uh, stories that you've talked about, it's been it's been about this connection with a bigger community.
0: That's true. Like I'm looking at my list right now and most of them have to do with a group of people going through something together whether it's like defeating Voldemort or <laughs> or defeating yeah. Hitler, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's fascinating. All right. <laughs> well,
1: And I think and and maybe that points to the bigger sacramental reality. I mean, for you <laughs> Um, one of the things that you cherish, and one of the things that you love is just this notion of of bigger connection and bigger community and I don't think this is just a tish thing, right? I think this is a human thing we We all want bigger connection, bigger purpose and and maybe the stories that we curate should point us to bigger purpose, bigger connection mhm,
0: and you know what? I love that you bring that up because. Justin Early in the Common Rule talks about this. Like he he recommends that the stories we curate, cu- uh, we curate them for beauty, for justice, and then he says for community.
1: And he oh, says, so
0: I know, he says, um, curating for community means realizing that fundamentally our story should be pushing it, pushing us out of isolation, not into it.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: the vast quality. Quantity of addictive media poses a danger because it um, captures our hearts with stories, but at the cost of spending our lives on the couch. Um, And then he says one of the baseline practices for him is to watch most, if not all, media with someone else for that reason. That's
1: good. So there you
0: go. I love that. That's good. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, Seth, um, I'm putting you on the spot here that, you know, because this is around the holiday season, there's a lot of stories we watch. Or read on repeat annually this time of year. I think every family has their like traditional movies that they it, they say is not really the season unless they watch them together. Do you guys have any that make your short list as a
1: family? We really only have one. Okay. Um, and I think we all agree on it. Although Ian, my third born, doesn't love it as much, but okay. it's a wonderful life. Yeah. It is not Christmas until we watch It's a Wonderful Life. And here's the amazing thing about that. Like growing up, that was not a thing in my house. Yeah. In fact, I don't think I saw It's a Wonderful Life until I was probably 30, 31. Um, so I was a super late comer to the party. Um, but now we watch it every year. And every year, as much as I think that I'm going to make it through the end without crying, like I just can't.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. I know. And it's not till you, I feel like the older you get, the more <laughs> relatable he is. Oh my God. I think I
1: cry more every year.
0: Uh huh. It's in it's fact bonkers. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But we, so that one, and then the boys have some like, they love to watch, um, Christmas vacation. So long as it's a TV version or I have my hand on the remote because we still do have a nine year old.
0: Yep. Yep. Um,
1: so they love that. We, we love Elf as a family. Yeah. We'll watch that at some point. We'll watch Charlie Brown Christmas at some point. But for yeah. us as a family, like it is Christmas when we have seen its a wonderful life. Yep. So. That, that's where we are. What about you? What, do you, what do you, What's your like Christmas movie?
0: Um, We have, I, I was going to mention three, but the top one is It's a Wonderful Life as well. And yeah. I'm laughing because it makes sense. Um, I was reading about how it's more appealing to those with a melancholy nature. And I think you and I yeah. might meet both <laughs> a little bit like that. I asked yeah. my Substack, stack, um, my newsletter uh, subscribers, we, we have a weekly private chat that's really active. And I throw them a question a week and not too long ago, I asked them, what is your like this same question. What is the movie that it's not Christmas till you watch it? Most everybody, whenever I said it's Wonderful Life, commented either, I just need to give that another try, I guess, or that's just too depressing for me, or I appreciate it in in terms of art, but it's not really my favorite. <laughs> it's what? Like, I was like, I am shocked because these are people, you know, they're listeners right now. And so they might be thinking, gosh, what? depressing people Seth and Tish are. and I have to mm. say to me I love It's a Wonderful Life both for the uh, all the things you said but also for me there is a sentimentality to it it is my dad's not just favorite Christmas movie but all-time favorite movie and so we would watch it as a family every year and he would even make an event out of it sometimes we would oh, have wow. people over and he would play he had these trivia questions um he has this movie poster up that's uh you know, this vintage poster of a, It's a Wonderful Life He Loves, Jimmy Stewart, the whole bit. And honestly, just to come full circle, that's the reason I put Bailey's in my drink, really. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to say it till now. Um, but because of that, um, It's a Wonderful Life. That is easily my favorite. And I think there's just something I love about the message of the ordinary being really good and the ordinary being best that I love about that movie, especially during yeah. the holidays when we're so tempted to You know, look for the over the top um, greatness, you know, in stories that there's something really ordinary about Bedford Falls and a guy who has a broken down house and a job he doesn't love that we can all relate to. That's right. And then how does it end? Right. <laughs> Everybody comes together. because yeah,
1: it's Right. A so yeah. that's why it makes Tish's list.
0: That's right. And then the other two that are kind of honestly distant seconds and thirds is A Christmas Carol. You, um, sometimes I'll read it every, uh, you know, it's a short book by Dickens. You can read it in maybe two days. It's short. Um, And then one that's not quite holiday specific, but it is because it starts and ends at Christmas is Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. Oh yeah.
1: I thought you were going to say die hard.
0: (laughs) I know. I know.
1: I, (laughs) I cringe
0: a little and die inside whenever people talk about that being their favorite Christmas movie, but Uh, there, I know a lot of good people who do. So no judging.
1: It's well, we are going to watch Little Women together as a family uh, this year. And we are not going to watch. I I think Little Women is great for boys to see. so mm-hmm. there you go.
0: Good. Good. Boys in particular need to see Little Women, especially the new one. I mean, Well, the 90s one is good, but this latest one that came out is fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's the one we're going to watch because we haven't seen the, the new one yet. So okay. and Amber oh. said, boys, in the same way that you try to convince us that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, this is a Christmas movie.
0: Yeah, it is. So, it is. It literally begins and ends at Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's such a good movie. And that's, it's about community too. So there you go.
1: I'll make sure Um, to report back.
0: (laughs) All right. So Seth, we've been talking about all sorts of good things. So I don't know if you have anything in addition, but we like to end the show talking about what's one good thing, work of art, idea, or habit that's making your life a little better. So do you have anything?
1: Yes. So I am currently reading how to Write One Song by Jeff Tweedy. Oh. So Jeff Tweedy was the frontman songwriter for Wilco. And, you know, it's pr- probably a little bit that kind of dates us a little bit. Those people who know uh, Wilco are probably mm-hmm. 40 or older. Um, <laughs> but what I love about this little book is it's, you know, it's not high art, but he talks about songwriting in the most human way. And just how to use language to get into the human experience and to share emotions and how to play with words. And so as a writer, um, even though I haven't written a song probably in five years, I used to write a lot of songs. But as a writer, as someone who loves poetry um, and writes some poetry and writes uh, fiction, just the idea of wordplay and human experience and emotion is so good. And it pairs well with um, what we're talking about because we're talking about stories and he talks about writing stories, and it pairs well with my sweet tea because on the front of this uh, book, How to Write One Song, uh, it's the artist's you know upper half of his face in a cowboy hat. and when I think cowboy hats, dang if I don't think about sweet tea. Yeah, so it all works together for me. I love so that's, it. That's, that's mine. What is yours? Very good.
0: Okay. Mine is a book as well. It's called The 25th. It's brand new. It came out. Honestly, I pre-ordered it ages ago and it showed up in my mailbox a few weeks ago and I forgot. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It's written by a guy named Joshua Gibbs, who I really like. He um, he usually writes, well, this is nonfiction. It's a collection of his essays, um, but he's an educator. He teaches um, the classics at some school on the East Coast. Um, and he's just a really smart thinker and funny and snarky and all the things that I like. And so this book is called New and Selected Christmas Essays. And I am only on like the fourth or so, um, essay of his, but they kind of remind me a little bit of Garrison Keeler or David Sedaris, but
1: oh, wow.
0: slightly more hope-filled. Um, you know, with a little bit, I don't want to say like with the bow tied at the top, like everything is all, you know, saccharine sweet. He, he, he's not like that at all. He doesn't pull punches, but he, he's very sacramental in nature. He's an Orthodox Christian and he has that mindset. So, you know, just to give you a taste of some of the chapter titles, when to start listening to Christmas music in defense of George Bailey, um, death at a party, um, which is about the feast of the Holy innocence um, on Grinches. And I just, I don't know. I, I like, short story collections, whenever I have a lot going on. And this past, the past few weeks, I've had a lot going on as school year ends um, with a lot of grading. I've been reading a yeah. lot of student essays. And yeah. so short story collections are good for me or essay collections, because I can just read one and then put it down and walk yeah. away and not read for days on end. And so um, it's really good. I really like it. I'm glad I ordered it. My my past self is glad I pre-ordered it.
1: anyway. My past self is glad I pre-ordered Yeah. Your future self is glad your past self pre-ordered it. Yeah. Uh, No, that's awesome. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. And I'm curious to know, did it arrive on November 25th?
0: That's a good question. I'll have to look it up. I don't even remember. I just...
1: Because that would be super meta.
0: That would be fantastic if it did. I don't know. Hmm. I'll have to look at my orders. All right. Well, thank you for joining me in this series. It's been a lot of fun, this five-part series. I'm very grateful for you joining me. And we're going to take a few weeks off on the podcast. So um, for those of you listening, yeah. enjoy the holidays. Seth, enjoy yeah. the holidays. I-
1: I will. You enjoy the holidays, too. I will say this has been one of the most enjoyable things I've done in 2020.
0: Me, too, actually. (laughs) It's a good way to end the year, this otherwise meh, very meh year. So
1: Very meh.
0: Yes. Thank you. So as we take a few weeks off, I will probably join in here in the audio feed at some point just to make a little announcement that I'm really excited about, that Seth is excited about, too. So stay tuned for that. Music for the show, as always, is by Kevin McLeod, And thanks, as always to Caroline Tassell and Kyle Oxenrider for their help as well as my furry intern Jenny. Um, Seth, where can people find you?
1: They can find me at SethHaines.com or on my Substack channel which is Seth Haines Uh, it's H-A-I-N-E-S so just search that in Substack or uh, you can find me anywhere uh, the little at sign is used uh, S E T H H A I N E S. so that's Instagram, Twitter anywhere like that
0: very cool. And we'll put links to all that in the show notes as well. You can find my work at tishoxenwriter.com, where you can find links to my books, my newsletter, my audio series, all my things there. So just head head on over there. All right. So I'm Tish Oxenwriter, and Seth and I will be back here eventually. Have a great holiday season. And thanks for listening to The Good List. Seth, thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me. It's great fun.